Hi, I'm Drew. I'm not Greg. Um, I'm the student minister here, in case you didn't know. Uh, my primary role is to work with 5th through 12th grade. So 5th through 8th grade, we meet on Wednesday nights at Refresh, and then high school, we meet on Sunday nights. We call it HSM. It's really creative. High school student ministry. So just to let you know, if you weren't a little unfamiliar with my face, who I am and what I do here, um, we're going to continue in our Follow Me series that Greg has been uh, leading us in. I've got my converse on everything. I think I even get the opportunity to close out the, the series, right? Yeah. So going out with a bang, hopefully. Um, like I said, I'm the student minister, and so what I do a lot of is we go on trips, uh, lots of different trips. And last weekend, we went to Wisconsin. We went on a, a winter retreat. I think we have a picture of our group up there. Um, there we go. It's, you can't see our faces. I'm sorry. Um, it looks better up person. If you want to see our faces, you can come out and check it out. But isn't the snow pretty? Um, with the clouds in the background. It was, it was just a great, great trip. We had a lot of fun. Uh, we took seven students, and one of them knew how to ski. So if you've ever been skiing, what you know is that means a lot of people fell a, a lot. Um, and, and I just want to tell a short story about our ski trip, okay? So uh, Mackenzie, who's sitting right up front, uh, smiling, and her face is going to turn four shades of red. That's our picture. I know I look different. I shaved. It's like I had a time machine that I just shaved off a few years. But um, we went on this ski trip, and Mackenzie is a great girl. Love you. But I typically say of her that she is the one that doesn't speak. Like, she's the strong sound type. She just typically doesn't ever have anything to say. And she tried really hard in skiing. It was her first time. She really gave it a lot of effort. Um, and she fell over 20 times, you say? She's not her head. Yes, over 20 times. So what a trooper, right? Um, but as the middle of the day came, there just were more and more people on the slopes. And it got really, really crowded. And a lot of the people that came to ski were what appeared to be like four-year-olds, um, maybe six-year-olds or seven-year-olds, but they were very small and very fast and just better than I was at skiing in general. And they sort, sort of seemed to be everywhere. It's like you're going down the slopes. You just had to be really conscious of where they are. So at one point, um, we're, we're sort of trying to stay as a group, which is sort of hard. We're going up this quad lift. Uh, so there's four of us, and there's another group behind us. And when we get to the top, some of us are going to the left, which was a, a harder slope, like a, a black diamond. And, and Mackenzie, at this point, was going down to the right by herself. I think it was a blue circle. I'm not really sure. Um, and so we sort of, are, we all go down, and we're meeting back up at the bottom. And we get back to the bottom, and we're all sort of stopped, and we're looking around, and we're like, where's Mackenzie? Um, which everyone knew the answer to this, that, it was one of the 20 times, right? And so we're all sort of looking, we're like, oh, there she is. She's up there on the slope. I can see her trying to put her skis back on. And so we just waited patiently. And so she, she made it down and we got back in line. And, and being the compassionate, caring, loving person that I am, I'm like, hey, Kenzie, what happened? You know? And she's like, I fell. And, and so then we're on the, the chairlift. We're riding back up. And I'm like, so why'd you fall? And she's like, well, these kids, I mean, this is a big deal because this is the loudest she's spoken in like the four years of me knowing her, right? She's like, these kids, they came out in front of me and they were everywhere and I swerved to miss this one kid and it made me fall. He made me fall. And so as a, as a group, we're all sort of laughing because this is funny. We're like, oh yeah, that's, that's pretty funny. And then she just blew my mind. She interrupts our laughter and says, next time I'm going to run them over. True story. Um, 
So if you guys would go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 10, uh, today we're going to look at how a Jesus church is a kid-loving church, uh, pretty much going to have the exact opposite mentality as McKenzie did in that moment, okay? We're not running over kids. That's not how Jesus wants us to treat kids. Um, and, and normally I have to fabricate on stories. I exaggerate a little bit, make them, you know, even just a little more. On that, I, had, I didn't have to do that at all. That was exactly what happened. Uh, you can ask anybody. You could ask McKenzie, but she probably won't speak to you. Um, so Mark chapter 10, we're going to be in verse 13. It says there, it says, One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with the disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on their heads and he blessed them. First off, just this glaring truth I think we see in this passage is we need to understand that we are to never let our position inside or outside the church dictate who gets Jesus. Right? The, the disciples, these, these kids come up to the disciples, and, and from my study, what we gather is they're probably from unfamiliar families. Like the disciples didn't recognize these kids or recognize their parents that brought them there. And for the sake of us today, maybe they didn't have on their Sunday clothes when they showed up. Like maybe they weren't looking quite the best. Maybe they were a little dirty. And the disciples stepped in there like, hey, you know, Jesus really didn't have time for this right now. And if we know anything about Jesus when we read the Gospels, we understand that he came for the poor, the marginalized, the overlooked. And if there was a group of people that he um, just got annoyed with and just seemed to not be able to stand, it would be the religious leaders, the Pharisees. And in this moment, he is, it says he's angered at his disciples' reaction. He says, no, don't let them come to me. But what I really want us to talk about today is Jesus' actions. Because I think in this, passage is, in this passage that his words support his actions, but his actions may speak even louder than what his words are saying. Hey, Aiden, can you come up here? Uh-oh. Hey, Aiden, can you come up here? We're going to force the issue. Okay, you gonna go to your class? You gonna stay with mom? Can I kiss? Okay. Guess you should have been here for the first service. <laughs> Worked a whole lot better. All right, let's try that again. Hey, Braden, you wanna come up? No, I'm just kidding. I don't think I can pick Braden up as easily. And he gets really uncomfortable when I kiss him, so. The funny thing is, is you guys think I'm joking? But that's not a joke. That's true. Um, what I intended on Aiden to do was to come up here and for me to pick him up. Um, because that's what we see Jesus do in this passage. Uh, he's, he's clearly, looks like he's teaching to me or getting ready to teach. And he stops what he's doing. He picks up these kids and he blesses them. And sometimes I think um, for us in our lives, what we need to do is we need to stop what we're doing. Give our attention to the kids and show them that we love them. And really, that's what I want us to talk about this morning. Because I think 
We, like I said a minute ago, we know that Jesus came for those who are looked down upon, uh, the outcast of society, the marginalized, those without a voice. And in the ancient world, that would have been children. They had no status. See you, bud. They had no status. It was easy to ignore them because they had no voice, no one to speak for them, no one to fight for them. In the Greco-Roman world, unwanted children would literally be disregarded to the streets. Uh, if someone were to have a child and they didn't want it, they would just toss it out into the streets. And, and then there were this group of people that would come by and collect some of these children. Not all, but some. And in first hearing that, it's like, oh good, like they would take them to an orphanage or look after them. No. Um, what would happen is, is, is these other group of people would come and they would collect these children and they would take them to raise them for their own profit. Um, they would raise them to become gladiators or force them to be prostitutes. Um, sometimes they would beat them to where they would be disfigured so that they, um, when they put them on the streets to beg, they would actually bring in more money because of their disfigurement. It's not much different than the world we live in today, is it? Did you know that there are over five and a half million children in slavery around the world today? They're in uh, commercial sexual exploitation, pornography, forced begging, petty theft, and the drug trade. Did you know, according to a 2017 study, there are 862,320 abortions in the United States? Now, I'll be honest, that's a big number for me to read. Typically, on that kind of number, we round up or down, right? But when we're talking about people's lives, I don't think we can do that. 862,320 abortions in the United States. Now, that number continues to go down. It's decreasing. But until that number is not a statistic, I don't think that's okay. And, and I, don't, I don't really want to get into politics this morning, and I don't know where you stand... But I feel like as a church, our attitude, especially in dealing with, with mothers or parents who are considering this, is to say, hey, look, I'll, I'll take your baby. If you're considering having an abortion, I'll take your baby. Because I don't think this is a political thing. My hope is not in our government that our government will pass some sort of law to where abortions will somehow be illegal. My hope is in Christ. And my hope is that the church, we will spread and advance the gospel to all these people who may be considering having abortion to where they feel the love of Christ and they know that is not what they need to do. Because that's where my hope is. My hope is not in our government. My hope is in Jesus. And my hope is in us as a church is when we encounter people who may be of that line of thought, who may consider that. We don't shame them. We don't make them feel guilty for past mistakes. Instead, we love them and say, hey, if you're ever considering that, I would gladly take your baby. Because what happens is that changes this argument that's going back and forth about women's rights and children's rights. And it says, hey, you know what? I just, I love you so much and I love your unborn child so much. I would take them for you. Children have no voice, um, especially when it comes to child abuse. In, in our town, I... I know of children um, who have obviously uh, been beaten and hurt, um, who have gone without basic necessities, food and clothing, um, children who have had to sleep in cars or live in cars for periods of time. 
And to take it a step further and say, these children, not only do they live in our community, but they go to our church. They come on Wednesday nights refreshed, typically. Um, And if we're honest, they don't always pay for dinner. Sometimes they eat on the house. And I'm okay with that. Sometimes some may even be guilty for, for actually taking a little money out of the baskets. And I'm not saying that that's right. We have our, our free, uh, our free, excuse me, our drinks in the uh, youth room and the little glass sodas. You guys have seen those, right? Or at least on Wednesday nights, you see kids running around the halls with all these root beers and fancy, crazy sodas. Well, they, they cost a dollar. And I'm very confident that there are a handful of boys that have never paid for one and they get one every week. I'm okay with that. Because I just want to ask ourselves the question, what would Jesus do if he came to refresh? What would his attitude be if he came in and this group of students were sitting over there and their table was a mess? That doesn't always apply to children who have been neglected. That could just be our kids. Right, Braden? Right? Like their table's a mess or they're running around in circles and they sort of get in their way. It's like, you know, what would Jesus' attitude be? And I'm convinced, looking at this passage, that he would stop what he's doing, directs his attention to these kids or these students, and show them that he loves them. I got serious pretty fast. Um, I, I hope I got your attention. But all I really want to do for the remainder of our time this morning uh, is let's just create a game plan. If we say that a Jesus church is a kid-loving church, what does that look like? What's that look like for me and what's that look like for you? What is the heart attitude or the posture of Jesus that he's modeling towards these children? And how can we emulate that? How can we literally say, God, I want to follow you in that? How do we love kids and students? Can I just tell you that I get really excited to talk about that? Um, I don't really like the word calling, but, but I'm going to use it here, so just bear with me and, and know in advance I'm not crazy about sometimes how that's used. But, but I feel like what God has placed on my heart for my life, um, if I had to sum it up into one sentence, it would be to love students. It's just that plain and simple. It's just to love students. I would say that's like my calling. That's what I felt like I'm supposed to do. And currently right now I do that as the student pastor here at First Christian Church, but that probably won't always be the case. Someday I may be flipping burgers at McDonald's and I still feel like my life's calling and that moment will still be to love students. And, and someday I may get a real job, a real preaching job like Greg, but even in that I feel like my calling will be to love students in that position. So what's the best way to love a student? Well, if you all came to my Sunday school class next week, That'd be a little awkward, wouldn't it? There's, what, maybe 150 of us in the room. If we all showed up in the student center and were like, hey, we're here to love students in the student Sunday school, like, that's just going to be uncomfortable. There's not going to be enough seats. The students are going to look around and be like, why are they all here? Mackenzie's like, I'm definitely not speaking today. Um, I think the best way for us to love students is to have a relationship with them. A former minister that I served with, his name was David Fulton, he used to say this all the time. He said, they never care how much you know until they know how much you care. Now, he didn't originate that saying, 
But man, that's true, isn't it? They never care how much you know until they know how much you care. See, I think having a relationship means sometimes we stop what we're doing. Even if it's something good, we stop what we're doing, direct our attention to the kids, and show them that we love them. My family, uh, last fall, we attended a lot of football games. Uh, Braden played on the eighth grade team, and so we went to a lot of those games. Uh, we watched uh, Isaac and, and Warren do the tag team quarterback for some of the, was it a freshman or JV game, right? Then we went and watched some of the varsity games too. So we attended a lot of, which is, I like football. Uh, we attended a lot of football games. It kind of was like a circus though, you know, because we've got the other two little boys who are showing up and we've got toys and food and diapers and wipes and like all this baggage that we carry with us everywhere at this point in life. Um, but I don't remember which game it was. We're at one of these football games and Aiden, um, despite being incredibly shy just a moment ago, he's not always like that. He takes after Emily and he's pretty outspoken. <laughs> I'm glad you guys laughed. First service didn't catch that one as the first, but you guys picked up on that good. Um, and so he's just got accustomed to like talking to people that he knows at these football games. Uh, and a lot of people he knows in our community happen to go to our church. And so we're at a football game. I don't remember when it is or what day of the week it was, but we're, we're sitting there. We're three-fourths of the way up in the bleachers probably. And Carolyn Hoskins comes walking by down below us. And Aiden, without like any encouragement from me or Emily, stands up and yells, Hey, Hoskins! <laughs> and that could almost be seen as disrespectful, but he was three, so I feel like that slides... Um, I probably wouldn't yell that to Miss Carolyn, but, but he can get away with it. Now, the unfortunate thing is, is she didn't hear him because there were a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. And so he turns and looks at me all frantic like, what am I going to do? She didn't hear me. And so I just said, go get her. And then he just takes off. He's going down the bleachers. And so I sort of follow him over and he catches up and we uh, end up sitting with what I call the Hoskins clan for a moment. Um, and we sort of share that story and laugh. But the point of that is this. Why did the three-year-old have enough confidence in a, a bleachers full of people with a couple hundred people to stand up and yell, hey, Hoskins? Why, what would possess him to do that? He had a relationship with Carolyn. He knew her. And he knew that if he reached out to her, and she heard him, even though she didn't. If she heard him, she would have stopped what she was doing and directed her attention towards him. And in that moment, he would have felt loved. I feel like I could give countless examples of this. Uh, Landon and Brian uh, go, I've been a few times coon hunting with Jaden. That's a very redneck endeavor. I, if you've never done it, I would encourage you to go. Um, uh, Alex and Emily and Andy have bought Valentine's Day bracelets for some of the high school girls. And we could just walk through the different um, camps and retreats that we've gone on and how these relationships have formed. I think one of the best was, it's almost three years ago now, um, and I don't even remember all the girls, but there was this group of girls that stayed in Miss Sharon's cabin. And they, they just had a transformational week in that cabin to so much so that the next year where I was like, hey, we're, getting, we're going back, we're doing summer camp, it's going to be very similar to last year, are you guys going? They're like, yeah, but we're in Miss Sharon's cabin. I was like, well, actually, Miss Sharon's not going to be able to go this year. Like, she's not going, I'm not going. 
Like, the relationship, the bond was that. So if Miss Sharon wasn't going to camp, then they weren't going to camp. Now, I eventually was able to talk them into going, but I had to bribe them, I'm pretty sure. It's all about the relationship. Um, I don't know if you, well, outside of the Grants and Emily, I don't think anybody knows who Miss Brenda is. I don't really even know who Miss Brenda is, but I heard through the last decade of my life about this woman called the Gum Lady. Because every Sunday morning, for most of my wife's childhood, she would bring Emily a 25-cent pack of gum and just give it to her on Sunday morning. I'm assuming that would strike up the smallest form of conversation, even though Emily growing up was probably more like McKenzie and was the one who did not speak, right? She had a relationship with her. Now, my point is this, is we can all have relationships with students or kids in different ways. Like, that's going to look different for all of us. You all can't come and teach uh, our Sunday school class. That would just be uncomfortable. But why? Why am I up here talking about the need for relationships? Let me read you a few verses. Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Philippians 3.17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. I think those three verses all tell us the same thing. Jesus says it and then Paul says it twice in two different books. He says, at some point in your life, if you're a part of the church, what you do is you say, hey, I want you to come follow me. And since we're not Jesus, the way we say it is, I want you to come follow me because I'm doing my best to follow Jesus. We don't follow someone that we don't know. We're not going to be able to imitate behavior that we have not seen. Maybe the only slight exception to this is um, someone famous or we see people through social media and on TV and, and we attempt to follow fashions or fads that they lead out in. But the reality is, is even though we don't know them personally, we feel like we know them from seeing them. So my point is this church, we can't have people follow us, specifically students or kids, if they don't know us. Jesus is our perfect example, right? Jesus is our perfect example, right? Okay, there we go. Jesus was perfect. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, but he's our perfect example. And in being our perfect example, I think he modeled this perfectly for us. He went out and he got 12 guys and he said, hey, come follow me. They followed him for three years. They spent all of their time with him and they learned everything they knew from him. We call this discipleship. And if we say that we're a discipleship church, which we do, that should be our mandate. That should be our goal. Now, I was just in Sunday school, and the video, somebody will have to help me out with the statistic. He said that the word Christian was only 360, something on that ballpark, right? It was good. I was like, oh, that was good. I can work that in. Um, he, Christians only use three times. Disciple, 360. Like, we're supposed to be disciples. Disciples make other disciples. But we can only do this if we follow the example we see from Jesus in Mark chapter 10. Sometimes we've got to stop what we're doing and give our attention to the kids and show them that we love them. 
sometimes I think we have the same attitude as McKenzie. And we're like, man, they, they made a mess again on Wednesday night. Like, this place is just trashed. Or they broke another light bulb, or we broke another TV, or we break a lot of stuff. Um, or like the floor's sticky, or they're running around, or they're not where they're supposed It's like, man, these kids just keep getting in my way. Next time, I'm going to run them over. That's not the attitude we're supposed to have, though. I think we have to stop what we're doing and show the kids that we love them. Give them our attention. So my question is, who is that for you? Who's that kid? Who is the student? They're like, you know what? I could have a relationship with them. Maybe for you, you're like, hey, I need to get involved. I want to be that person in the small group. I want to be like Drew Riley, the guy that goes on that ski trip, and the correct term, I believe, is eating snow. Like, he ate snow because he wiped out so hard where his back still sore. It's like, I want to be that guy so that I can have that relationship, so that in the small group, they're going to know how much I care, and therefore, they're going to want to care about what I know, and so that we can emulate Jesus to them. And, and so Drew can say, hey, guys, I'm not perfect, but follow me as I follow Jesus because that's what discipleship looks like. So maybe that's you. Maybe like, hey, I want to be that. And maybe it's not for the high school boys or the middle school boys, but it's for Aiden in his pre-K class. So probably no ski trips. But like maybe that's, that's what you want to do. And maybe you're like, I don't know. That seems, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Maybe I just want to work in the nursery. Hey, discipleship's got to start somewhere. Maybe you're like, Drew, I don't know that I want to work somewhere on a regular basis. Like maybe you just want to come cook. We go on weeks of camps, and we just had the kids retreat here a couple of weeks ago. It's like, we need people to just come and cook dinner. Come cook dinner and sit down and have a conversation with a student. Maybe you just need to talk to the person that's like right next to you. Because there's this kid who sits in the row in front of you or behind you or right around you, and you, you sort of know who they are. Maybe you know their name, but maybe you just need to spend a little time with them. Maybe on Wednesday night you need to seek out some of these other kids that you're not as familiar with and you need to have a conversation with them. Ask them what sports they play. Find out when their next game is. Because if you show up at one of those games, man, you'll make their day. Because it's different for some of our families because, like Isaac, you expect your parents, they come and watch you wrestle. They come and watch you play football, right? When they can. They're busy they have a lot of kids. <laughs> Some kids don't know what that's like. They don't know what it's like. They sit out there on the sidelines and they turn around and look up and they're like, oh yeah, all those people, nobody's there for me. And wouldn't, isn't that a powerful opportunity for us as a church to show kids and students that we love them and care about them? Maybe... Maybe this whole concept is just deathly terrifying. So like, how can I tell somebody else to follow me like I follow Jesus? Because I'm just, like, I've been going to church for 30 years or however long. It's like, and I come on Sundays and Wednesdays, but I've not really been following Jesus very well in my own life. Maybe some of us, we need to say, hey, look, I'm going to start following Jesus better on my own. Like where he said, come and follow me, like I'm going to take that command seriously. And then I'm going to find somebody else to come follow me as I follow him. 
There may be some of you here today that are like, you know what, I've been coming for a while, or maybe this is your first Sunday here, and you're like, I've never actually made that decision to follow Jesus. I've never done it. Like, I know a lot about God. I know some truths. I come to church. But I've never decided to follow Jesus on my own. And maybe right now, when we stand and sing in a moment, that maybe you're just like, hey, I'm ready to come and follow Jesus. Like, for myself, I'm ready to make that commitment. And I encourage you, when we stand and sing in a moment, to come and do that. First, we pray with me. God, my prayer in this moment for, for myself is that you would let me be a man that follows you so closely that I can turn to others and say, come follow me because I'm following Jesus with everything that I have. And God, that that, that that would not end with me, but that we would be a church that does that, God. That we, we would imitate you. We would follow you with everything that we have. And we would come to have relationships with students that are transformative, God. That because of our church, because of our adults, that the kids that come into this building would know who you are. That our neighbors, the people in this community, the children in this community, they would know who you are by how our church shows them that you love them. That is our prayer this morning, God. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?